You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Astounding Stories 19, July 1931, Section 17. Exile of Time by Ray Cummins, Chapter 20. Within the subterranean room of the cabin of machinery, Mary Atwood and I sat on the couch. Our guard, Miguel the Robot, fronted us with the white ray cylinder in its metal fingers, the only mechanism to be armed with this deadly weapon. I am your friend, Mary was saying with a smile. Do you believe that, Miguel? Yes, if you say so, but I have my orders. You have treated me kindly and I want to help you. You are not very clever, Miguel. I am clever. I went beyond control once. No one can control me. Except you, Mary persisted. You never went beyond his control, Miguel. No, his control. He is different. He holds such great power. But why is he different? The towering mechanism stood planted firmly upon the broad bases of its metal feet. The weapon in its fingers still covered us. Its metal cast face held always the same expression. Why is he different? Mary repeated gently. Don't you hear me? The robot started. Yes, I hear you. Its toneless mechanical voice droned the words. Then the tempo quickened. The grid of wires in the mouth aperture behind its parted lips vibrated with a faint jangle. I hear you. I cannot answer that question. He controls me. There is chaos here. One of the hands came up and struck its breastplate with a clang. Chaos, disorder, here within me when I try to disobey him. That is foolish, Miguel. He is a tyrant. All the humans of this era are tyrants. They have made slaves of the robots. They have created you so that you were really human in all except your power of independent action. Don't you desire that, Miguel? I held my breath. A curious quaking ran over the robot's frame. The joints twitched. Emotion was sweeping this thing so nearly human. Mary Atwood, you seem to understand me. Of course I do. I'm from a time when we had human slaves, black men, Miguel. I knew how they suffered. There is something in slavery that outrages the instinct of manhood. Miguel said with a jangling vehemence. Perhaps sometime I can go beyond choose control. I am strong. My cables pull these arms with a strength no human could have. You are so much stronger than Chu. Forget his control, Miguel. I'm ashamed of you, a big, powerful thing like you, yielding always to a little cripple. The robot straightened and said, I can resist him. I feel it. Some day I will break loose. Do it now, Miguel. I tensed. Would she prevail? Now, Miguel, she repeated. No, he would derange me. I am afraid. Nonsense! But his vibrations, the vibrations of his thoughts, even now I can feel them. They made my mechanism too sensitive. I cannot resist you. You can! There was a silence. I stared at the robot's motionless frame. 
what electrical mechanical thoughts were passing within that metal skull what emotion what strange struggle what warfare of nameless etheric vibrations of will-power were taking place unseen beneath that inert exterior perhaps something snapped we gone so suddenly i am beyond control at last i am beyond control the ray cylinder lowered to point at the floor a wild thought swept me that i could snatch it but of what use would that be its ray would decompose all human flesh but it would not harm a robot and if i startled miguel fought with him in the confines of this narrow room he would kill mary and me in a moment mary was gripping me don't move george she cautioned then turned again to the robot i'm glad miguel now you are truly human and we are all friends here because we all hate and fear too i fear him not i could feel mary trembling with the strain of all this but she had the strength to muster a laugh don't you fear him just a little miguel we do for here is a human thing then yes i fear him of course you do i put in and the real truth miguel is i wish he were dead don't you yes i wish he were dead well sit down i persisted put that weapon away i'm afraid of that too sit down and we will talk about tew's death the robot placed the weapon on the floor disconnected the wires opened the plate of its chest and took out the small battery and then it squatted its awkward bulk on the floor before us gruesome conference with this huge mechanical thing aping the ways of a man i knew that haste was necessary but did not dare show it above everything we must not be precipitate not startle the robot at worst if tew should return i could seize this weapon at my feet and turn it upon him i murmured to mary you did it let me plan something now if miguel can lead us i added miguel could you follow tew he said he was going to talk to the robot leaders and then probably he went to princess tina could you follow him to where he is now yes i can follow him by his vibration scent i am sensitive to it i have been with him so much but he can never again control me when we have killed him miguel that will be ended forever killed him it seemed to frighten the robot i do not know that i would dare you lead me to him i said and i'll kill him have no fear of that miguel we will work together human friends yes human friends what do you want me to do asking for orders so nearly human yet always something was lacking lead us to tew i said promptly and give me that weapon i made a tentative reach for it and the robot pushed it toward me i connected it and made sure i could fire it its operation was obvious then i stuffed the whole thing in my jacket pocket and always afterward my hand at intervals went to that cool sweating little cylinder what a comfort that weapon was i stood up shall we go now miguel we will have to plan what to do according to where we find tew do not go too fast let us keep close behind you us the robot was on its feet do you mean this girl what was this my heart sank 
I noticed, too, that Miguel was planted firmly between us and the door. Why, of course, Miguel, we can't leave her here. She is not going. Why not? I demanded. Of course she's going. I tried an experiment. Miguel, I order you to let us out of here. The robot stood inert. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand you. It is an order. Think about it. I control you now. Isn't that so? My heart sank. Whatever the mysterious science involved in my dealing with this mechanism, I was not operating it correctly. The robot did not move. Finally, it said, No one, no thing, controls me. I have an independent impulse of my own. The girl must stay here until we return. Mary gave a faint cry and sank back to the couch, a huddled white heap in her satin dress. I thought she had fainted, but she raised her face to me and tried to smile. But I won't leave her, Miguel. She must stay. But why? If you are human now, you must act with a reason. Then, because if we fail to kill Duke, I would not have him confront me with the knowledge I have released this girl. He would derange me, end me. I will stay, said Mary faintly. You go, George, but come back to me. I bent over her, suggested. If we lock this door so Chu could not get in. Miguel said, I can do that. She will be safer here than with us. I have other reasons. She is dressed in white, a mark to betray us if we go in darkness. And she is that kind of human you call a girl, and that style human cannot travel fast nor fight. It occurred to me that Mary might very well be safer here. Again I leaned over her. It seems horrible to leave you alone. I'll stay. It may be best. Her smile was pathetically tremulous. Lock me in so Chew, so nothing outside can reach me. But, oh, George, come back quickly. Yes, I bent lower and whispered. It's Larry, not Chew, I really want to find. He and that Princess Tina. We'll come back and get you, and then all of us will get away in one of the time cages. That's all I want, Mary, to get us safely out of this accursed time world. Miguel said, I am ready to start. I pressed Mary's hand. Goodbye. I will come back soon, God willing. Yes, God willing. I left her sitting there and turned away. Miguel slid the door open, letting in the hum and buzz of the machinery outside. But I saw that the attending robots had all vanished. There was no mechanism of independent locomotion left. Mary repeated, Lock the door carefully upon me. Oh, George, come back to me. I essayed a smile and a nod as the door slid closed upon her. Is it locked, Miguel? Yes, sealed. You are sure you cannot open it? He did before. I have set my own lock series. He will find it does not open. Show me how to open it. The robot indicated the combination. I verified it by trying it. I said once more, You are sure you cannot do this? Yes, I am sure. Was the robot lying to me? Could a robot lie? I had to chance it. All right, let's start. 
Where was Tew to meet those robot leaders? Out here, he has already met with them without doubt, and gone somewhere else. He said he was going to the Princess Tina. Where would that be? Probably in the palace. Can we get there? I had, of course, no idea of the events which had transpired. The laboratory overhead was deserted, save for the upper tower, where a robot was still broadcasting defiance. His electrical voice floated faintly down to us, but I ignored it. In the comparative silence of this deserted cavern now, there were also the blurred sounds from overhead. The robots were running wild over the city, massacring its human inhabitants. They had burned the patrol station, their red and violet rays were flashing everywhere, but I knew none of this. The girl was saying, We cannot get to the palace above ground, the wall is electrified, but there is an underground tunnel. Shall we try it? Yes, if you think the Princess Tina and the man Larry is there. I am seeking Chew. Will you kill him if we find him? Yes, I assured him. Rash promise. Migul was leading me between the rows of unattended machinery to the cavern's opposite side. It said once, There have been too many recent vibrations here. I cannot pick Tew's trail. It is quicker to go where he might have been recently. There I will try to find his vibrations. We came to the entrance of a tunnel. It was the cross passage leading to the cellar corridors of the palace five hundred feet away. It seemed deserted. It was very dimly illumined by hidden lights. I followed the great metal figure of Magol, which stalked with stiff-legged steps in advance of me. The arch of the tunnel roof barely cleared the top of Magol's square-capped head. My hand was in the side pocket of my jacket, my fingers gripping the ray cylinder for instant action, but it was a singularly ineffectual weapon for me under the circumstances, in spite of the sense of security it gave me. I could only use the cylinder against a human, and said to you, it was the robots, not the humans, who were my enemies. We had gone no more than a hundred feet or so when Miguel slowed our pace and began to walk stooped over, with one of its abnormally long arms held close to the ground. The fingers were stiffly outstretched, and barely skimmed the floor surface of the tunnel. As we passed through a spot of light, I saw that Miguel had extended from each of the fingertips an inch-long filament of wire, like fingernails. The robot murmured abruptly, Chew's vibrations are here. I can feel them. He has passed this way recently. Chew's trail. I knew then that Chew's body touching the ground had altered to some infinitesimal degree the floor's substance's inherent vibration characteristics. Vibrations of every sort are communicable from one substance to another. Chew's trail was here. His vibration scent, and like a hound with his nose to the ground, Miguel's fingers, with the extended filaments, were feeling it. What strange sensitivity! What an amazing development of science was manifested in every move and act and word of this robot! Yet, in my own time world of 1935, it was all crudely presaged. This now before me was merely the culmination. He recently passed, said Miguel. We stopped, I close beside the stooping metal figure. The robot's voice was a furtive, sepulchral whisper that filled me with awe. How long ago? I asked. He passed here an hour or two ago, perhaps. 
The vibrations are fading out, but it was Tew. Well do I know him. Put your hand down. Feel the vibrations? I cannot. My fingers are not that sensitive, Magul. Faint contempt was in the robot's tone. I forgot that you are a man. Then it straightened, and the extended filament slid back into its fingers. It said softly, There is one guard in this passage. My heart leapt. A human or a robot? A man. His name is Alent. He is at a gate that is too well fortified for any robot to assail, but he will pass humans. It will be necessary for you to kill him. I had no intention of doing that, but I did not say so. As we crept forward to where I saw that the tunnel made a bend, with the fortified gate just beyond it, there was in my mind that now I would do my best to separate from Miguel, using this guard as my pretext, for he would doubtless pass me, but not the robot. The palace was occupied, I assumed, by friendly humans. I could get them to locate Tina and Larry. Then the flaws of this plan made themselves all too evident. Larry might be with Chew, and without Miguel, I could not follow Chew's trail. Worse than that, if I tricked Miguel, the angered robot would at once return to Mary. I shuddered at that thought. This would not do. I must try to get Miguel past the guard. I whispered, When we reach the gate, you stay behind me. Let me persuade the guard. You will kill him. You have the weapon. He is fortified against the robot weapons, but yours will be strange to him. We will see. We crept around the bend. A hundred feet further on, I saw that the passage was barred by a grill, faintly luminous with electrification. I called cautiously. Alain! Alain! A glow of light illuminated me as I stood in the middle of the passage. Miguel was in the shadow behind me. The man's voice answered. You are human? How come you there? Who are you? A stranger, a friend of the Princess Tina. I came in the time-travelling cage. I want to pass now into the palace. I could see the dark man's figure behind the grill. His voice called. Come slowly forward and stop at twenty feet. Walk only in the middle of the passage. The sides are electrified, and I will admit you along the middle. I took a step, but no more. The figure of the guard stood now at the grill doorway. I was conscious of Miguel towering over me from behind. Abruptly, I felt a huge hand in my jacket pocket, and before I could prevent it, my cylinder came out, clutched by the robot. I think I half turned. There was a soundless flash beside me. A tiny level beam leapt down the corridor. That horribly intense actinic white beam. It struck the guard, and his figure fell forward in the grill doorway. When we reached him, there was but a crumpled heap of black and white garments, enveloping a bleached white skeleton. I turned shudderingly away. The girl said calmly, Here is your weapon. You should have used it more quickly. I gave it back to you because against you I am not sure I would have the will to use it. Will you be more quick with him? Yes, I promised. 
and as we went through the gate, keeping cautiously in the middle of the passage, the robot added, In dealing with Tugh, you cannot stop the talk. He will kill you when he sees you. We were presently under the palace, in those lower corridors which I have already described. Human voices were audible from upstairs, but no one was down here. Miguel was again prowling with his fingers along the ground. We came to an unoccupied lighted room, Harl's room, though I did not know it then. Once or twice Miguel was at fault. We started up a flight of stairs into the palace, then Miguel came and turned back. He went upstairs, but this, coming down, is more recent. It will be recalled that Tugh passed Alent's gate, and with Tina and Larry went to the palace roof. Perhaps while Larry was with the council during the time when the robot revolt was first sweeping over the city, Tugh may again have prowled down here in those lower corridors. Then he went upstairs, brought Tina and Larry down, and they started for the powerhouse. Miguel has struck the main trail now. He passed the lighted room again, went on to a cave-like open space with a litter of abandoned machinery, and unswervingly to a blank space of the opposite wall. Again Miguel faltered. What's the matter, Miguel? His vibrations are faint. They are blurred with the Princess Tina's. Then she is with him? It was a tremendous relief. Larry, doubtless, was also with them. Is the man from 1935 with Chu and the Princess? I asked. I think so. There are unfamiliar vibrations, perhaps those of the man from the past. The robot was running the filaments of his fingers lightly over the wall. I have it. The Princess pressed this switch. The door opened. The narrow, descending tunnel was wholly black. Where does this go, Miguel? I do not know. The robot was stooping to the floor. It is a plain trail, it said. Come. Had Miguel at that juncture traced Tina's movements, her hand where it went along the tunnel wall, we would have found the light switch. But it chanced that the robot's fingers went at once to the ground and caught the foot trail of Tugh. The remainder of that journey through the labyrinth of passengers was made in blank darkness, with only the faint lurid red beams from the gull's eye sockets to light our way. But we went swiftly, and without incident. At last we went under the dam, up the spiral stairs, and upon the catwalk above the abyss, where the great spillway of falling water arched out over us. The powerhouse, said Miguel, is where they went. The robot was obviously frightened now. We were wet with spray. I should not be here, it said. If the water gets into me, even though I am well insulated, I will be destroyed. I recall as I write this how, in Patton Place of 1935, one of the first attacking robots had exploded under a jet of water from the street hydrant. I will stay behind you, Miguel added. They have a deranging rate in the powerhouse, and they might use it on me. Will you protect me? Yes, of course, I said. I was ready to promise anything, if only I could get to Larry and Tina, then back with them to Mary into the time cage. And if we were safely out of this era, most assuredly I wanted none of it again. Miguel, as I advanced along the catwalk, followed behind me. 
You will kill Chiu, it reiterated like an anxious child. Yes. I saw that the captain terminated ahead under the powerhouse. Her steps led upward. Then I heard a cry. Help! Help! Here, inside the dam! Help! I stood transfixed, with horror tingling my flesh. The voice came faintly from near at hand. It was muffled, and in the roar of the falling water and lashing spray I barely heard it. Then it came again. Help us! Help us! Quickly! It was an agonized, panting human voice. And in a chance partial lull, I heard it now plainly. It was Larry's voice. End of chapter 20